So this morning we're going to uh, return back to the book of Romans. Uh, if you know uh, or have been with us at all, you'll know that uh, for the past couple weeks we've been finishing up the book of Romans. And uh, if you've ever read any of it before, you'll know that uh, it's an incredibly rich book uh, full of cultural content, um, full of religious controversy, uh, and of course all sorts of soaring theological doctrines. And so it is really a, a rich and remarkable book. Um, but I don't think it's sacrilegious to say this, that at times it is difficult to read. And part of that is because of Paul and his writing style. Paul, of course, is the apostle who was the writer of this letter to the book of Romans. And I always imagine that Paul has a really busy mind. I have a busy mind. My mind is always going in a million different directions. And I imagine that Paul has the same thing, because at times he will write something and he'll be trying to make a point, and then he'll go off on a tangent and forget to go back to his main point to try to reinforce it. And so sometimes it's a little difficult to read. But also when you get to the end of his letters, they can be a little difficult to read as well, because I don't think Paul likes to say goodbyes. Or at least he has a hard time doing it, because when you get to the end of these letters, it's as if he's about to close, and then it's P.S., and then another P.S., and then another P.S., all the way into a couple of chapters of P.S.'s that you have to really work through. And our passage this morning uh, is just one of those sections, so I'm going to be reading uh, from Romans uh, chapter 15 and read verses uh, 14 uh, through the end of the chapter, uh, 33. So you can follow along in your bulletins uh, or on the screens as well. Uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Romans uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ." And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. For this reason, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. From Macedonia to Achaia, I have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this 
and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave from Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we pray, uh, as James writes, uh, that we would receive with meekness the implanted Word, that we may be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. So visit us with your Spirit now, enlighten our hearts, and change us in the process. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So over the next two weeks, we are going to really look at uh, this chapter and the next chapter. We're going to look at these final words or final appeals that Paul has uh, to the church in Rome. And I think the thing that we learn the most about these last two sections really has to do with the author, with uh, the Apostle Paul, because I think what shines through in these two sections, perhaps brighter than anything else, is Paul's passion. I really believe that is the thing that is most on display here, Paul's incredible passion. Uh, I recently uh, watched a show about Rosa Parks, and uh, I'd known a little bit about Rosa Parks from what I'd learned uh, in school, of course, but I learned more uh, by watching this show. And of course, uh, if you know anything about her story, uh, 1960s uh, Montgomery, Alabama, uh, Rosa Parks uh, refused to move to the rear of the bus when a white passenger uh, boarded. Uh, as the story goes, she uh, had been, uh, she'd had a long day at work. Uh, she worked at a department store as a seamstress, and uh, she was on her way home on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, when she refused to leave her seat and to move to the back of the bus. And she said, it had nothing to do with the fact that I was tired from work. Instead, it was because I was tired of giving in. And of course, that very small act started the Montgomery bus boycott, and which later became uh, one of the most foundational events of the civil rights movement. And when you think about her story, really, it was her passion that had made all the difference. I want you to think for a minute about uh, some of the best teachers that you've had in your life. We've all had good teachers. We've all had really bad teachers but I think the best teachers are the ones that have a combination of knowledge about their subject, but also passion about their subject as well. Of course, we've all known teachers that were really knowledgeable, but because they seemed to have no passion, they made the subject uh, about as dry as burnt toast. I know I've had teachers and professors like this. They could take something remarkably interesting and make it really boring. But some of the best of teachers out there can take something that you have literally no interest in whatsoever and somehow make it interesting because they are not only knowledgeable about what they're talking about, but they're also incredibly passionate about it. Because of that, it makes it exciting. Friends, I think one of the major problems within the Christian community, and we have lots of problems in the Christian community, but I think one of the major problems is not so much that we don't have knowledge— that can be a problem, of course, but I think one of the major problems is that there often is not a whole lot of passion 
that is connected to the knowledge that we have about God. If you go to the book of Revelation, you read about how uh, God commends the churches that are passionate, but he also has very harsh words for the churches that are knowledgeable but yet lack any sort of passion. He actually says they are lukewarm and he is ready to spit them out of his mouth. Those are harsh words. But when you come to the Apostle Paul, you see a man, you see a life, a person who has been set on fire, not just by knowledge of God, but by passion for him. And if you look at his letter in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about his two great passions in life. Let me read you uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. Seeing a thing, I think Paul encapsulates his greatest passions here. He says he has a passion for the gospel, the message of God, but also a passion for people, a passion for, for others, and specifically a passion for the church. And in Paul's life and for the Christian life, for all of us, those things ought to flow into one another. They ought never to be divorced from one another. And it's those passions that I think that are on display in these final chapters of the book of Romans. And so this morning, I want to look at Paul's passion for the mission of the gospel. And then you have to come back next week to hear about Paul's passion for others, for people, for the church specifically. But as we come to our passage here this morning, we really see three things. We see uh, Paul's motive for the, the mission that he's passionate about. We see his strategy. And then finally, we see the power for this mission. The first we see is in verses 15 to 16. We see Paul's motives. Listen to these words. Uh, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you study the life of Paul, you realize that he had a very unique calling when it came to the spread and the mission of the gospel. You see, prior to the Apostle Paul, this kind of gospel movement or, or, or this converting movement of Christianity was largely only within the Jewish world, the Jewish culture, and the Jewish community. Very few of Jesus' disciples made any sort of effort whatsoever, and even when they did, it was sometimes kicking and screaming. Uh, they didn't make uh, uh, any sort of effort to really spread the message of the gospel outside of the Jewish community and into the Gentile world. And so this movement of Christianity stayed largely Jewish until the Apostle Paul came along because he believed that his audience, those people that he were called to, were Gentiles, were non-Jews. And he believed that taking the message of Jesus was important to take it beyond its Jewish community and the Jewish culture. He even calls uh, his work here a, a priestly service. And he's picking up on an image that was popular in that culture. A priest was known to be one who was a, a mediator or an intercessor between God and a certain group of people. 
And so Paul believed that he had that priestly function or that priestly role to take the message of Jesus to the Gentile world, to cultures and languages and peoples that had not been exposed to the truth of Jesus Christ yet. And so he tells us what his motive is very simply in verse 15. He says why all this is here. He says, it is because of the grace given to me by God. See, Paul is getting back to his own story, his own relationship with God, and telling us, reminding us and his writers, his, the, those that are reading his letter, that he has been a recipient of God's grace. And if you know his story at all, Paul was a former persecutor of the faith until he was miraculously converted to faith in Jesus Christ. He would literally hunt Christians down at times arrest them for practicing their faith, and at other times approving of others being murdered or executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And all that was true in Paul's life until, until he experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. And what that grace did is it propelled him into a life of mission. And what it reminds us is that a great experience of God's grace always translates into great passion and to great mission. You see, Paul was motivated by the grace of God. He wasn't motivated by guilt. He wasn't uh, motivated by obligation or even duty. Those can all be really good motivators, effective motivators, but at the end of the day, they're very joyless motivators. Instead, Paul was motivated by joyful grace, gratitude for the grace given to us by God propels us into passionate mission just like Paul. Think of that man who was in the, in the Gospels who had, been, who had been suffering from an infirmity his entire life until he is healed by Jesus Christ. And then he, he runs all throughout the town telling everyone about his healing. And he makes such a big stir that the religious professionals of Jesus' day, they bring him in. They want to hear his story. And so he goes in there and he boldly proclaims the healing that he had received by Jesus Christ. And he even looks at these prominent religious officials and says to them, do you want to meet him too? I'll go take you to go meet him. We can go see him now. You see this just naive, joyful passion that this man has. And it's such a reminder that great grace, when it is experienced and when it is cherished, leads to great passion. And so we, hear, we see here, Paul tells us about his motive, but he also gives us a picture of his strategy. And that's where all the details in really verses 18 to 29 they all those details help us to see Paul's strategy behind the motive of his mission. Really, he just tells us a lot about his travel plans, which don't sound particularly interesting to us, but, but are really uh, interesting when you kind of dig into the details. He talks about how he is getting rev- ready to travel uh, from the city of Corinth uh, to the city of Jerusalem. 
And he knows that there's going to be all sorts of trouble for him when he gets to Jerusalem. And of course, as we know from history, there was all sorts of trouble for him once he got to Jerusalem. And then he tells them that after he's going to be finished in Jerusalem, he's going to travel to see them in Rome. He wants to meet them personally. He wants to interact with them, to, to get to know them, to hopefully have some greater influence in this incredibly influential city of Rome. And then he says he wants to travel from Rome to Spain. And essentially what he's saying is he wants to take the message of Jesus to the outposts, to the, to the fringes of the Roman Empire, to expose this gospel message to people who have never heard about it. All said and done, uh, these travels are about 3,000 miles, and that might not seem like a lot to us, but in the ancient world, that was a substantial amount of travel uh, to be undertaken by one particular man. And so as you look at Paul's ministry, you discover just how much he really did travel, spreading the message of Jesus. He wanted to be a pioneer. He wanted to be on the front lines. He wanted to interact with people that had never heard this message before. And it didn't matter to him how difficult or inconvenient it was. That didn't matter to him. If you look in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives a list of all the things that he has suffered because of all of his travels. He says at times he was imprisoned, at times beaten to the point of death. Five times he was whipped short of his life, three times beaten by rods. One time he was stoned to the point of death. He was shipwrecked, He was set adrift. He was threatened with violence. He was in danger in cities. He was in danger in the wilderness. He was often without food, often without sleep, often without shelter. And for Paul, this is what it meant for him to passionately spread the message of Christ into the ancient world. He was never, it seems like, driven by any sort of pleasure or convenience or ease. He never seemed to want to settle into any sort of safe or comfortable life because he knew at the end of the day that his life was short, that time on this earth was fleeting, and he knew that people needed to hear the message of Jesus Christ before they slipped into death. And so what did Paul do? He ran into the fire. He ran into the danger. He ran into the sufferings. Now, why did he do all this? He did it because he recognized that his Savior did the very same thing for him. Because when you look at the message of the gospel, it tells us that Jesus himself set aside his own pleasure, his own convenience, and his own ease. It tells us that Jesus himself rushed into the fire of God's wrath on our behalf. You see, for Paul, Christ's story of redemption, his work of redemption, didn't just inform the message that he shared, but it also drove his conduct. It drove his strategy for sharing the message. And so in this passage, his motive becomes clear, his strategy becomes clear, but one other thing becomes very clear as we look at Paul's passion. We see the power for this mission in verse 18, and this may be the most important verse. He says this, "'For I will not venture to speak of anything 
Accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. If you've been with us uh, if all throughout the book of Romans, Paul keeps coming back to this word power. And if you look at the Greek, that word power is dunamis, which is uh, the root word that we get dynamite from. So what Paul is speaking about here is not just a simple, easy power, but an explosive power. And so whenever Paul suffered, he considered it to be a privilege for him to suffer. It was a privilege because despite his sufferings, he got to see the power of the gospel explode into individual lives. He got to see the power of the gospel explode into cities and explode into cultures in the ancient world. But he reminded the Roman church of this, that Christ at the end of the day must always be central to everything that we do as believers. You see, he realized that the power for this mission that he was on isn't in, innate in him. It isn't in unfolding some great marketing brilliance or some great marketing strategy. The power for all of this was Christ's strength being made manifest in our weaknesses. And friends, here is the most true thing of this all, that God's plan hasn't changed. God's plan that he did in the Apostle Paul is no different than his plan for our world today. It isn't somehow even harder for God now than it was in Paul's day, because the gospel at the end of the day is still powerful. But it will never be manifest in our world unless God's people rediscover their passion for this mission. You see, through continual faith and repentance, what happens is this. What happens is the grace of God sinks deeper into our soul, and that in turn translates into great passion. Because we as God's people can have all the knowledge in the world, but knowledge without passion at the end of the day can be wasted. But when we as God's people couple that knowledge of God with a passion stoked by the grace of God, then the powerful, supernatural, extraordinary work of Christ can be accomplished in our midst just as it was in Paul's day. So what do we do? How ought we to respond to sections of Scripture like this? Well, I think there's three quick things that we see here. One, Paul says we have to give generously. He talks all about that in verses 26 and 27, about Christians supporting the work of Paul and the work of other Christians in the mission of God. So we're called to give generously. But also, verse 30, we're called to pray fervently. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. You see, Paul understood the incredible value and the incredible power of prayer, because prayer ultimately is the means by which the power of God is is unleashed into our culture and into our world. 
So we're to give generously, we're to pray fervently, and then finally, I think we see this in verse 20, we ought to join in passionately. Verse 20, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. And so, friends, if you are sitting here like me, and I wrestled with this all week, if your passions and your desires are weak, if at times they are divided, if at times they are half-hearted, then I would encourage you, as I encourage my own soul, to ask God to fill you with a deeper picture of grace, to let faith and repentance do its work in your heart all over again. Because as you look throughout history, not just in the scriptural times, but in church history, every time God's people have visited themselves with fresh repentance and fresh faith experienced through prayer, every time God's people return to those things, great things happen in advancing the kingdom of God. So friends, remind yourself. That's really what Paul's saying here in verse 1, that he's simply here to remind them of the gospel. Remind yourself that your sin has estranged you from God, making you his enemy. But the good news is this, that Christ has come to restore you to God through the forgiveness, the radical forgiveness of sins. Abundant grace is not just available to you, but it is available to anyone in this world. And so let that grace fuel you to passionately take this message to the world. Let's pray.